prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. As we go to your word now, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Again, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... As we've been going through the books of Kings, we know that most of these kings, sadly, even though they're the kings over God's people, are wicked and evil, and most of them are idol worshipers. And it's truly tragic that the very same people, ancestors, the very same people that were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, crossed over the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, walked through the Jordan, and then God gave them victory over giants in the land. You fast forward not that many generations, and you see that they've for the, for the most part, have turned their backs completely on God. They're worshiping Baal. They're worshiping, worshiping idols. And because of Solomon's uh, indiscretions and Solomon's, again, turning away from the true and living God and allowing idolatry, we know that Israel was split into two pieces. And we know the two, northern 10 kingdoms and the southern two kingdoms. Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel is the northern kingdom. We know this also. We've been looking at it since, all the way since chapter 14 of 1 Kings. We've been looking at nothing but the kings in Israel. And, there, and every one of them in the book of Kings is evil. Every single one of them. And we just looked at a few weeks back, Ahab, what was his wife's name? Jezebel, the name that you know nobody by. Can I get an amen? She killed a name. You know you're wicked when you, you're like Hitler. You kill a name. No one ever wants to use that name again. That was Jezebel. And so tonight is we're going to pick up, by the way, chapter seven, did chapter seven rock? Uh, yeah. Chapter seven was amazing. I've, no, I've had more people comment on that text. And just quickly, uh, we told the message last week, God wants us to do great things, wants to do great things in you and through you. We saw that God is greater than you think. Don't focus on your human frailties, but the greatness of our God. If you remember, the children of Israel were surrounded. And when they were surrounded in Samaria, they're surrounded by their enemy, the Syrians, and they besieged it so that no food could come in, nothing. And so it got so bad, we talked about this, they sold a goat's head for about two years' wages, and they sold a, 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 you know, a, a baggie full of, of dove droppings for a month's wages. You know people are hungry. And then we saw the depravity. They were beginning to eat their own children. So in the midst of that depravity, if you remember what happened last week, they're all kind of sitting there waiting to die. And then they got the message from the prophet that by 24 hours from now, you'll be able to buy a bag of flour, a bag of wheat, you know, a bag of barley, be able to buy it for the normal price. And it seemed impossible because we limit God. If you remember, they questioned that it could even happen. And sometimes we don't understand how God's going to work. And then he works in a way that just blows our minds. And when he works in a way that we don't understand, that's when he gets all the glory. Amen. And how, who did he use? Who remembers from last week? Who did he use? It was last week. Come on. Lepers. He used four lepers. If, if, if the rich people are starving, how do you think lepers are doing? Because they usually get people's leftovers. And what did they decide to do? They said, if we sit here, we'll die. So let's just go out and face the Syrians, face the enemy, and maybe they'll take us in. And when they went out to see the Syrians, what had happened? They're all gone. And they began to eat all the food. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're eating the food and they're, they're burying gold and silver. And then they feel convicted to go back and let the people know. And what's amazing is if the lepers hadn't stepped out in faith, they all would have starved right where they were. And the same can be true in our lives. And we just sit back and become so comfortable and just kind of, you know, are waiting for whatever's next. We may miss out on God's highest. Amen. Too often what needs to happen is we need to get out of our comfort zone. 
We also saw the price of unbelief, and we saw the consequences that came to those who did not have any faith. So we pick up in chapter 8, and if you have the outline, grab it. We know that God's in control. Let's live like it. Can I get an amen to that? Is God in control of all things? Okay, God is in control. God is faithful and praise God for it. And because he's in control, we we don't have to walk by fear. We can walk by faith because God's in control. We don't have to worry about the latest trials or difficulties going on in our country. We live in a divided country right now that so desperately needs Jesus. But here's the good news. I read the end of the book and God wins. Amen. So we can have peace in the midst of great trials and difficulty. Here's the four points. We're going to look, actually five points, and I misnumbered them, and there's more proof that your pastor is flawed. So number one, keys to walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. How many of you feel like you could be closer in your walk with God? Okay, my hand's up. So we're going to see some things, some very practical ways that we can walk in closer and more intimate fellowship with God. Number two, there are, there are no coincidences. There are only divine appointments. There's no such thing as a coincidence with God. When we think it's a coincidence, it's just because God's moving and remaining anonymous. Amen? So no coincidences, but only divine appointments. Number three, in the midst of difficult times, even the most ungodly will cry out for divine intervention. See, the good news about difficult times is even the most ungodly of people will come to a place of desperation. And often the very people that mock you at work want nothing to do with you, make fun of your faith. In those moments, some of those very same people may end up calling you on the phone or coming over to your workspace if anybody actually works in a building at this point. So they may Zoom you, right? And they may just say, hey, can you pray for me? So praise God that even in the most ungodly of times, it's not wasted. Number four, it says three, they're ministered to the world but have no fellowship with it. Just remember, you need to surround yourself with spiritually mature believers. This is why fellowship is so important. I know I mess with you guys watching on live stream. You know I love you. But we need fellowship, amen? We need fellowship. We need to be with God's people. And then finally, be the example you want your kids to follow. We're gonna see a grandson. His grandparents are Ahab and Jezebel. And then he marries a woman who uh, is also related to them on, on, on another way. And so he's got all these ungodly people in front of him. And sadly, he becomes one of the most ungodly kings in Israel. He lasts for a year. And the example that he had to follow was an ungodly example. Now, let me say this. If you had the worst parents ever, it's still no excuse to live an ungodly life. Can I get amen to that? God can deliver you from that. But that being said, as parents, we don't want to be those people. I'm so thankful that I had two of the most godly parents on this planet, and I got to watch from the front row my, ent- my entire life wh- how a godly man treats his wife, how hard a godly man works, how a godly man uh, is hospitable, a godly mom is hospitable, how they opened up the doors to our house. And the fact that I pastored church and work a full-time job, I'm following in the footsteps of my dad. And so praise God for that. And we want to be those parents, Amen where our kids can look and say, okay, that's what a godly woman looks like. That's what a godly man looks like. That's what a godly marriage looks like. So let's begin there. We know that God's in control. Let's live like it. We're going to begin there in verse one, and we're going to be reminded of something that already took place. And I'm going to take a few moments to go over it because it is such a powerful picture. It says, then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored 
to life. If you remember back in chapter four, that Elisha would travel throughout the territory, throughout the land. He'd go into Judah and Israel. You'd see him sometimes going up into Syria and other lands. And as he would travel, there were no Motel 6s in those days. And every once in a while, there might be an inn somewhere. But typically, you had to rely on the hospitality of someone to take you in. And there was a woman who noticed that Elisha was coming in and she would invite him into her house. She'd make sure he was fed and had a place to stay. And then she got to the point where she went to her husband and they built him a room in their house so that he always had a place where he knew that he was welcome. And we saw that Elisha began to go into her home. And if you remember, Elisha was traveling with Gehazi at the time. And he said, to, is there anything that I can do for you? Is there anything I can get you? You're giving me a place to stay. And she basically said, I don't need anything. She wasn't doing something nice just to get something. True charity, true hospitality looks for nothing in return. And if you'll remember what happened is the, the assistant, Haji said, hey, well, she doesn't have any kids. And so he said to her, one year from today, you'll be holding a son on your lap. Sure enough, she had a child. Some time went by, and if you remember what happened, his, the son had gone out with his dad, who was elderly, and he grabbed his head and said, my head, my head, and he fell over. And they carried him back to his mom's house, and she held him in her arms until he died. And when he told her that she was going to have a child, she was like, don't do that to me. Don't, you know, don't lie to me. I've been, I've thought I was going to have a child so many times. And now she was given a child. And in some ways, no doubt, she probably thought it would better not to have one at all than to have a child love him so much and then hold him in my arms until he dies. So what did she do after he died? She carried her little boy and she laid him on the bed of Elisha, the bedroom. And then she got a donkey and she got a servant to lead her out and said, don't stop until we get to wherever he is. She traveled a great distance. She found him and then she told him what had happened. So he sends Gehazi back with his staff and says, when, when you get back there, just lay it on his face. Well, the mom just held on to Elisha and she wasn't going to leave until he went home with her. So he went home with her. And when he got home with her, the staff didn't work. And he goes into the room and he shuts the door and he gets down on his knees and he prays for this young boy. And then he lays on top of him, puts his face on the boy's face, covers his body, arms spread out. And then the boy starts to breathe again and wakes up and he calls the mom in and hands her her son back. So that's who this woman is. Now, let me just say this about something that we can learn from that woman. There's several things we can learn from her in the way that she responded. First of all, she invited God's man into her house. She invited someone who represented the Lord into her house. Let me just ask you this question. Is God present in your house? If people walk into your home, do they sense that something's different about it? Does the Lord dwell there? Does the Lord live inside of you? Have you been born again? Now, I want to say this too, it wasn't just enough that he would come by from time to time. She, she made a room for him so he could dwell there anytime. Does the, has the Lord taken up residence in your life? Have you, you know, not just giving God an hour a week, but do you have an intimate relationship with God? Does he now dwell within you 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Well, not only that, when she was asked if she could take something, I loved her heart. She just said, I don't need anything. 
All she wanted was his presence. Guys, when we come to the Lord, now we can ask the Lord for things, certainly. But you know what? I think the greatest thing we should want from the Lord is just his presence. Can I get an amen? Amen. Lord, I just want you. I, I don't need anything. You'll take care of the rest of it. And too often people come to God with an agenda and a shopping list. He's not the holy Santa Claus in the sky. Amen. We don't come and make demands of him. We don't tell God what we, what we want. We just say, Lord, you give me whatever I need. I don't need any more than that. Amen. But she was blessed to have him in her presence. And she sought nothing more than that. She was thankful for God's blessings. And in the midst of the trials and her heartache, when her son died, what did she do? She ran to God's man. She ran to the Lord, the representation of the Lord. She ran to find Elisha. Guys, as believers, not only do we invite the Lord to live inside of our life, but to dwell with us and do we seek his presence, but we're thankful for all he's already done. But when we go through trials, we should be running to the Lord, not from him. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to run to the Lord. He's the one who has the answers and seek godly counsel. I love this too, that she held on to God's man and would not let go. Think of Joshua when he wrestled, or Jacob, yeah, when jo- Jacob, when he wrestled with God, right? And he hung on to God till his hip was broken. And, you know, and the Lord does the same with us. I mean, do you, do you hang on to the Lord with both hands? Do you have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? I love also too, that we saw that picture of how the man of God, what did he do when the boy was hurting? He got on his knees. What is Jesus doing right now for us? What's he doing? He's praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And then I love the way that this young man who was dead came back to life is that he laid upon him. And then originally, literally his hands were spread out, picture of the cross. And as he laid upon that dead boy, you know, pressed upon him, that boy rose from the dead. And so we see the intercession that Jesus does for us, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. I love the Old Testament. The Bible rocks. Amen. And it all points to Jesus. And so he now comes to that woman because he's got a relationship with her. You know, he's God's prophet on the earth. You got to realize in those days, they didn't have a completed book of the Bible. They didn't have, you know, the full Bible yet. They didn't have it completed revelation by any stretch. And so a lot of times where they would hear from the Lord is from the prophets of God. And she's surrounded by all these people worshiping idols. And in the midst of that, she has a relationship with Elisha because he dwells in her home whenever he's in the area. Guys, you have a relationship with the Lord if he dwells in your heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Amen? Now watch what happens because of this intimate fellowship that they have with each other because she has a relationship with this man of God and he dwells with her. Look what happens. He says, arise and go to your household and stay wherever you can for the Lord has called for a famine and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. If you have a relationship with the Lord, if you walk in intimate fellowship with God, he will speak to you. Amen. He speaks to us as we read the Bible. You've heard me say it before. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. Can I get an amen? Just read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Open up the Bible and read it. Open it, read it, obey it. But God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He comforts us. He convicts us and he directs us. And so we should be in that position where we wait upon the Lord. And when, when you need direction, when you need wisdom, Don't go to the Lord last. Prayer shouldn't be the last resort. It should be the first place you go. Get in the presence of God and he will speak to us. He will direct us. And here, 
she gets warned, hey, there's a famine coming. You need to get out of the land. Now, sometimes you need to know as believers, the famine's coming and God says, stay in the land and be salt and light. Stay in California. We need some Christians to stay here. Can I get an amen? Got enough Christians going to Arizona, Texas, and Montana, and Idaho, and everywhere else. Somebody's got to stay here and preach Jesus, because this is the state that needs it the most. Can I get an amen to that? Put Zillow, don't be led by Zillow, be led by Jesus. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So the exhortation here I love is that he comes to her, and he warns her that tragedy is coming. The tragedy is coming. Verse two. So the woman rose and did according to the saying of the man of God. Boy, that's an example for us to follow. She heard the word. She got up and she did it. It's one thing to read the word and it's another thing to obey it. Amen. Open it, read it, obey it. And so she does. She responds to this word of encouragement, this exhortation. She did exactly as the man of God told her. I don't see her negotiating. I don't see her questioning or doubting. I don't see her looking for another opinion. She just receives the word of God and does exactly what the word of God says. I love that picture. Verse three, and it says there, It came to pass at the end of seven years that the the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. Oh, well, it says she went from her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. And then it says, it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of Philistines. She went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. So when she left, she kind of gave up her house. She walked away from everything that she had. We know from chapter four that she was uh, more, more than a wealthy person. It said a person of some means. So she had some level of wealth and she walked away from all of it to obey God. And now that she's been away for seven years, she comes back to the land and now she's gonna have the nerve in a way to go to the king. By the way, good king or evil king? Evil king. And she's going to go to the evil king and say, yeah, so I bailed out when you guys were all starving. And I went down to the land of the Philistines and I ain't pretty good. I actually gained a little weight, feeling pretty good. Hey, but I'm back and I'd kind of like to get my house back. And I'd kind of like to get, you know, because here's what happened. Remember that every tribe and every family within the tribes were given an inheritance. And what would happen is that inheritance would go from generation to generation. Now, there were times when they would sell it, but in the year of Jubilee, they would receive it back. And so she wants her family inheritance back. She wants her land back. And she's going to dare to go and ask the king if she can have it. So point number one, keys to walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Invite him into your life. Dwell with him. Seek nothing more from him than his presence. Be ever thankful for his blessings. In the midst of trials, run to him, not from him. Know that he is interceding on your behalf. Never lose sight of the cross and the depths of his love for you. And trust him and obey his word. Point number two, verse four, there are no coincidences, only divine appointments. Verse four. So she goes in and makes the appeal to the king. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God saying, tell me please all the great things Elisha has done. Now, if you were paying attention a few chapters back, does it surprise you that Gehazi is hanging out with the king. Why? He's got leprosy. 
If you will remember what happened, remember that when Naaman came and had leprosy and sought out Elisha, Elisha told him what he needed to do to be healed. He went and did it. He first, he didn't want to do it, but he went and bathed and came out of the water after Jordan seven times and his leprosy was gone. And then he offered great riches, riches to Elisha. And Elisha said, no, I don't need it. Keep it. And Gehazi's over here going, dude, that was the lottery walking away from us. What in the world are you thinking, bro? He's offering to give us free stuff. And that's from a, you know, the, one of the generals of our enemy. And so what does he do? He follows, he waits a little while, sneaks off, brings a couple guys with him. Hey, name it. Remember me? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, you know, the servant to Elisha. I've actually got two guys here who are just coming through prophet school and they're kind of hurting. Could you help them out? They gave each of them a talent of gold and he gave them each a bunch of clothes and stuff. And then when they got back to the city, he kicked those guys to the curb and took all their stuff. And by the way, bad idea to try to hide things from a prophet of God, amen. And Elisha quickly says, dude, what did you do? I, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> Sounds like every kid I raised at some point, <laughs> I didn't do nothing. And what happens? His sin found him out and God gave him. So he healed Naaman of leprosy. And then he gave the leprosy to Gehazi. He let him keep the money, but hey, it comes with the sight of leprosy. Here you go. So now we see Gehazi and he's in Israel with the king. He's no longer with Elisha, no doubt dwelling in the land. And the king wants to know about, he wants to know about Elisha. He wants to know about him. He's heard things about him, no doubt. I mean, he's a newer king and he says, he brings Gehazi in because he knows that he traveled with Elisha and he wants to find out about this man. So he brings Elisha in. You know what? We should be the people that people seek when they want to know about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Who, know, who do I know that knows Jesus? I better go ask him. I need to go ask her. See, he went to Gehazi because he knew Gehazi, knew Elisha. Guys, people ought to know that we know Jesus. We don't just know Jesus. We love Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? He's our King, our Lord, our God, and our Savior. We're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we love him. We should shout it from the mountaintops. So watch what happens. And I love this. So he calls Gehazi and tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now keep in mind that some of the kings had sought, that some of the same kings had sought to kill him and sought to capture him. But now there's things going on in this man's life and he wants to find out. Look at verse five. Now what happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, oh my Lord, oh king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. So he starts telling the story about Elisha bringing this dead boy back to life, just being a tool in the hand of the master. We know God did it, but God uses Elisha. He's telling him the story and the woman comes walking in to see if she can get her property back. At that exact moment, we call that a divine appointment. Amen. And she comes walking in and he turns around and he's telling her story. Hey, uh, King, it's her. That's the lady right there. The one I was just telling you about. Don't you love divine appointments? Don't you love when something happens and you're just like, that's so God. When we were planting this church in 2013, 
I was trying, I had gone in and met with the pastors at God Speak, and I said, look, it's time for me to plant a church. They said, play about Moore Park or Calabasas. Moore Park had 22 churches. Calabasas had one dying little church. So I said, we're going there. I had a coworker who lived in Calabasas. I said, can you think of a place where I can rent a room? He goes, yeah, there's a community center by my house. So this guy was not a Christian. So I go, well, can you drive me over there after work? So he drives me over there. We're in the parking lot. I said, hey, bro, I know you don't do this, but I want you to pray with me right now. And, you know, he, I could tell he was getting nervous, like I was trying to give him a vaccine or something, right? <laughs> Just saying, right? <laughs> but I put my arm around him, and here's what I prayed for roughly. I said, Lord, if this is where you want us, I want you to make it so obvious. I want you, Lord, to do something supernatural that shows us this is the place we're supposed to be. So we walked into the community center and standing behind the counter was this woman by the name of Jenna. And I said, hey, uh, I'm going to be planting a church here in Calabasas. We're looking for a place to meet. And what I need is I need a minimum of two rooms and I'm going to need them on, on uh, Sunday. It would start on Sunday nights and Thursday nights. And so she was telling me about the place. And so, of course, I said, so by the way, where do you go to church? And she said, I really don't go. I said, great, because we'll be here and you can come here, right? But she said, I said, so where are you at with the Lord? She said, well, I went to Christian school my whole life, but I really don't have a relationship with the Lord. And I, and I said, well, where'd you go to Christian school? She goes, where's the school I'm sure you've never heard of? It's called Desert Christian School. It's out in Lancaster. I said, really? I said, what years were you there? And she told me, I said, well, I was a youth pastor in Lancaster, and I came and did your chapels every month when you were in high school. And so I think God's not done with you yet. <laughs> He's chasing you down. And she just went, you've got to be kidding me. And the guy standing with me, I'm like, you know what that is, bro? That's a divine appointment. That's a supernatural God thing. Can I get an amen? And she went and looked and said, we're going to give you the discounted rate. And we're going to give you the, the this rate. And it was, we were paying like $35 a week. Uh, can I pay for 10 years right now? Now the price went up over time as we've started meeting more and more. But see, the point I'm making is that isn't it good that God is in the circumstances, that God is in the details, that God will show up in ways like that where you know it's the Lord? Do you know that I knew that I knew that I knew this is where God wants us to be? First person we saw saved was an older guy who would come and stand at the door every week and kind of peek in. And eventually he came in, he gave his life to the Lord. His name's Bob and he's in heaven now. Can I get an amen to that? And by being in that gym, people would be walking by and they'd stand at the door, they'd peek in and people would come in and people got saved. And see, I love divine appointments and, there's, and we, can do, we can talk about thousands of these, amen? That's just one example. Here's one more real quick. I was working, I actually left my job. I've been with my company 33 years, but I left my company for a few years while I was pastoring in Santa Cruz. All my pastors showed up at work and said, Pastor Dave, you need to quit. The church is getting too big. We, need, we already had a bunch of pastors on staff and I wasn't one of them. So I prayed about it and I said, okay, well, my last day there, I was packing up my car. I was getting ready to leave. I was packing up my car. And it was my last day. And it was like 4.45. And I was not in my suit. I was wearing shorts and a I was carrying stuff out of my office. And they came running out. And they said, hey, there's a guy here that wants to buy some advertising. And we looked in the computer. He's assigned to you. You want to just get me to give it to someone else? I said, no, I'll do it. I went upstairs. I talked to this guy. He was in construction. I helped him with his business. I talked to him about the Lord and I gave him one of my church cards. I said, well, I'm not going to be working there anymore. Here's one of my church cards. Why don't you just hang on to that? He said, okay. Fast forward four years later, the guy comes walking in with the woman. They're engaged. They want to get married. He didn't know a pastor, but he remembered my card. 
He found it in his drawer. He showed up at our church. I did their pre-marriage counseling. They both got saved during pre-marriage counseling. And they've been walking with God ever since. They got grown kids who love Jesus. And praise God, I didn't just get in the car and leave. Can I get an amen to that? I'm, I'm leaving. If he got there 60 seconds later, I would have been divine appointments. Is God in charge? What's the answer? And may we be sensitive and may we not walk by those opportunities that come our way every day. So here's a divine appointment. I love this picture. He's talking, he's talking to the king, Jehoram, and in walks the woman. Do you think she might have a little extra favor now in what she's about to ask for? <laughs> Dude, this is the woman. Her son got raised from the dead. Really, that's her right there. Dude. You were just telling, she just walked in, whoa. Now watch, when I, I just love this. The Bible rocks. It's a God thing. Our God does stuff like that, amen? There's nothing by chance. It's all by deployment and the sovereign will of God. I call them miracles of timing. Can I get amen? Yeah. It's a miracle of timing. We can miss it by minutes, but God was there. And you know what else? When the woman's son died, she ran to the Lord, but then she got to see God show up. And you know when we get to see God show up the, the, the most often is when we're in the greatest difficulty. Can I get an amen to that? So we want our faith to grow and we want to have a deeper relationship with the Lord, but we don't want the trials that go with it. Show me somebody in the Bible used mildly, I'll show you somebody suffered greatly. So we can't expect to be used mildly by the Lord and be on the cruise ship to heaven without any waves hitting the, in the boat, amen? So here's what happened, same thing here, is because her son died, and then she got to see him resurrected from the dead. Fast forward seven years after she's been away, she comes back and because of the trial that she went through, she had a greater testimony that would speak to the king and bring an even greater blessing to her that she wasn't even looking for. That's our God, amen? He brings beauty from ashes. No suffering is wasted. And I so love this picture. Look what he says in verse six. Verse five, yeah, now what happened as he was telling the story, she came in, my Lord, O king, this is the woman. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day she left and the land until now. Not only did he give her house back, he said, go find how much money they made with those crops and cut her a check. Amen. She went in to do something that didn't even seem possible, but because if God is for us, who can be against us, amen? She had left because she obeyed uh, the Lord, not because she saw cheaper houses in Philistines, amen? <laughs> she, left. she left because she heard from the Lord, and then she came back when, in God's timing, and then she approaches, and I just love how God's hand is upon this woman's life, but his hand is upon her life because she is a woman who invited the Lord into her house, who had a, a, a love and a passion for the things of God. Guys, if you want God's hand upon your life, make sure that he's welcome in your life. Amen. Yes. You need to have him welcome in your life. So point number two there, there are no coincidences, only divine appointments. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit here and another divine appointment that takes place in Elisha's life. Look at verse seven. And in the midst of difficult times, even the most ungodly will cry out for divine intervention. Then Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. Now we've seen Ben-Hadad, if you've been coming through kings, and this guy's kind of all over the map. 
One minute, he seems like he's a friend of Israel, and the next minute, he's attacking them. He, you know, they just besieged the city, right? They're, so everybody, you see Ben-Hadad, you never know where he's coming from. And for the most of the time, he saw Israel as an enemy, and we, he would be attacking Israel, though he had moments where he seemed to be befriending them. But now he's sick, and he cannot heal himself. And how are those idols working out? Amen? Praying to dead idols. How's that working out? Not doing any good. So here's what he does. He said, King so was sick and he has told him, saying, the man of God has come here. So it's great. First of all, it's odd that he would be there because it's a great distance away. And so he has traveled out of Israel and he has gone into enemy territory and he just so happens to be in the land. But as he is there, the word comes back to the king that Elisha, the prophet, the same one who had raised, God had used to raise people from the dead, who'd done great miraculous works. Look what he says in verse eight. And the king said to Hazael, take a present in your hand and go and meet the man of God. Inquire of the Lord by him saying, shall I recover from this disease? So a man who mocks the true living God, who, who has Baal worship and Asheroth worship, who is a, again, is as pagan as it gets, but now he's sick and now he's desperate. And there's a man that he's heard of, Elisha, that has raised people from the dead. He no doubt knows this, he goes and of course knows this story of how he healed one of his own servants, Naaman, who had leprosy. So he knows it's, he's healed people. He knows that he, the story is he's raised people from the dead. And all of a sudden, this dying man is seeking to hear from the Lord, not from Baal, but from the Lord. So he says, you know, you go find this guy. Go find him. Now, it's interesting. It says in 1 Kings 19, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, this was to Elijah, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And as you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. So back in 1 King, Elijah was told to go to Damascus. And because he didn't go, it appears that Elijah, Elisha is following up on what Elijah didn't do. So he goes up to Damascus. There's a divine appointment waiting for him. So he is in the region. The king finds out. He says, take a gift and go find out from this prophet if I am going to live. Now the very, these are the very same people that had sought to kill Elisha time after time, wanted to capture him. And now they're seeking his counsel. Verse nine. So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you saying, shall I recover from this disease? Now here's what's amazing. He sends him 40 camels worth of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. But do you know that a man who's truly seeking God doesn't care about stuff? Amen. And by the way, you can't bribe God. God's not impressed with 40 camels full of stuff. He speaks it into existence. Can I get amen? He put the stars in the sky. But a lot of times people will kind of try to bribe God. People that don't truly understand who God is, the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the grace of God. You know, it's like somebody whose life has been a mess and they're in big trouble and they're like, Lord, if you'll do this, then I'll give you this. I got plenty of those. I don't need any. 
But what happens is he sends 40 camels worth of goods. I can just see as he's approaching Elisha and all these camels are coming and they're loaded down. It says with every good thing in Damascus, everything that Damascus grew, everything they created, everything they had, brought it all to him, hoping he would get a good answer. Like somehow, if we give a bunch of money or if we, we bring a big enough bride, we can bribe, we can somehow, you know, make God give us the answer that we want. The truth of God's will and God's word are not up for sale. Amen? They're not up for sale. It's non-negotiable. I don't care how much money you give, that, you know, the name and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it. Nonsense is on TV. Just give God money like God needs money. It's so stupid. Can I get an amen to that? It's actually nauseating. And these guys are just making themselves rich. Some of them make $100 million a year fleecing God's people. And it's ridiculous. And I pray that they get saved because if they don't, hell's going to be hot. But here's the point. You cannot influence a true man of God to alter or add to the unwavering truth of God's word, no matter how much money you give him. Someone who's truly called by God will speak God's word, do it in love, but do it without compromise, no matter what. He won't waver to please the culture. He won't waver to tickle the ears of people so that they'll come back next week. He's going to proclaim the truth and do it in love because someone who's called by God cares more about your eternity than being popular with you. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's this exhortation. He comes and he's bringing this, you know, this big, you know, train full of all these things to give to him to try to get the answer that he wants. And is he going to survive? Is he going to live? Look at verse 10. It's going to get interesting. It says there, and Elisha said to him, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. Then he set his countenance as a stare until he was ashamed and the man of God wept. Now let me play, here's what happens. So the man comes in, and says, will he be healed from this disease? Hazael comes in and asks him. And he says to him, he will recover. And he's not lying. He says he will recover. He's actually going to be able to recover from the disease. But then he says, but the truth is he's going to die. Because it's not the disease that's going to kill him. It's actually the man that's bringing the message. This man, Hazael, has been plotting to assassinate the king. And so when he comes in and asks, is he going to recover? He's like, well, yeah, he's going to recover from the disease, but he's not going to live. And then it says, he, look, let me read that verse again. It says, he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. He said, yeah, he's, he's going to recover, but he's not going to live. And he just stares him down. And that, what do you think Hazel's thinking? You know, getting a little, it's a prophet of God. He, the guy raised people from the dead over here. Gets, I've seen leprosy come out of this place, right? And he's just staring him down. He's just looking at him. And, and to the point where he was ashamed. How's that? Ugh. You know, like, why, why is he looking at me like this? And then notice that he weeps. Now, the reason that, and it's not Hazael who weeps. That'd have been good if he did. It's actually Eli, it's, it's, uh, Elisha who weeps. Now, why does he weep? We're going to see in a few verses. Because as he looks at the man, God shows him all the things this man is going to do. And this man is going to kill the king. He's going to assassinate him. And then he's going to be the most evil king in the way that he treats the children of Israel. We're going to see the list of it. And instead of being angry or 
you know, killing Hitler before he gets going, right? Right? If you, if you could catch Hitler before he killed all those people, would you kill him, right? That mentality. So he sees what he's going to do, but I love his heart. He weeps. And see, that's exactly what Jesus did, right? When he looked down on Jerusalem, he comes into the city and looks down and he weeps. Why? Because he knows the hard hearts of the people and he knows their choice that they're going to make. And he's weeping because he knows that this man is not only going to kill the king, but this man is going to attack God's people. And he's going to give a list here of all the things that he's going to do. God gives insight to Elisha about far more than just the health of the king. God showed him the heart of Hazael. Now, I don't think any of us could use the term and say we're prophets. By the way, be careful with that. Can I get an amen? amen. How many times does a prophet have to be wrong to be a false prophet? Okay, exactly. So <laughs> be careful. That being said, most of us, if not you know, nearly all of us, there's been times especially it's happened more times than I can count where you're counseling somebody and you know the choice they're about to make and you can already see how it's going to end up. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Where I'm, I'll be counseling a young couple. This, I can't tell you how many times this has happened. And one of them says, yeah, I reconnected with my old high school girlfriend or boyfriend. And you know what? I'm just going to leave my family. I remember one time it was a guy had two little girls. His wife was pregnant with another one. And he said, yeah, we reconnected. I went up and spent the week and whether I'm gone, I'm leaving. And it, it took everything in Jesus name, not to strike him. <laughs> he was a police officer in his police uniform. And I still was like, bro, be thankful. Cause I, man, I can't believe you. And I told him flat out, here's what's going to happen, bro. God's not going to honor what you're doing. You're going to go up there. It's not going to last. Your beautiful, sweet Christian wife, God's going to bring another godly man along. And those two, girl, two girls and the one that's on the way are going to be calling him dad. And your life's going to be miserable because the way of the transgressor is hard. And you need to repent, bro, because if you don't, I promise you, you'll be back in my office and you will not have even the opportunity to get your wife or your children back. And you will be miserable and you will regret the day you made this decision. And he repented for a couple days. And his wife called me and said he took off and he went away. And sure enough, a few years later, I did a wedding and all those little girls were calling this new, the, the man who was her dad, right? Was being their dad, raising him dad. And a few more years later, that man's back in my office. He's lost his job. His life's a mess. He's in totally broken because when, guys, when we, when we make the conscious choice to rebel against God and walk away and go do what our flesh wants to do, again, the way the transgressor is hard and the word of God is true. And we need to herald it enough and love people enough to say, bro, if you do this, you're going to regret it. Amen. So Hazael, could he still, could he at this point have repented? What's the answer? Yes. Dude, I know what you're going to do. Look, he's going to tell him, look at this list. It's gnarly. Why is my Lord weeping? Hazael says to Elisha. He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds we set, you will set on fire and their young men you will kill with the sword and you will dash their children and you will rip open their women with child. You're going to kill, you're going to slaughter, you're going to kill children and they're going to take pregnant women and, and rip them open. And then Hazael says this, Hazael said, verse 13, but what is your servant, a dog? 
that he should do such gross things? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. So you're going to become the king. I've already seen it. I know you're going to assassinate the king. He doesn't tell him that. I know you're going to assassinate the king. And then this is the kind of man you're going to be. Now, he was confronted, much like I confronted that man in my office that day. And he has a chance, just like that man did, to repent and say, you know what? It's not worth it. Lord, please forgive me. It's not too late. Now, see, let me say this. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man are both true. Amen? Okay? But we'll see that because he sees the future, because he knows what's in this man's heart, doesn't mean that God forces him to do it. See, God knows the future because he's God, but we still have free will. Amen? Okay? They're not mutually exclusive. They're both true. So here's that man's opportunity. He can repent. He can turn around. I love the tender heart of Elisha as he weeps. And this man says, what am I a dog? You know, when confronted with a word of wisdom or godly warning, it's an opportunity to examine your own heart, to come humbly before the Lord, or to simply accuse the one who delivers the word to you as being crazy. Now, look, I've been a pastor 33 years, so I've had people approach me with things that are just plain crazy. And they'll say, thus saith the Lord. I had a dream and the Lord told me. And, and I will say this, I listen and I, okay, and, and if, even if they're crazy, you know what I do? I take it to the Lord every time. Hey, Lord, I know that person has lost their mind, but you may choose to speak through them. Can I get an amen to that? That's plain nuts what they just told me. I had a pers- person tell me that they came to church. They said, yeah, I went to heaven and God put a scepter on my shoulder and then he told me to come back and I'm supposed to take over and pastor this church. Yeah, when God tells me, I'll, I'll confirm that with you, bro. Can I get an amen? That's plain. I didn't even, I didn't have to go to God with that one at all. Can I get an amen? That did not happen. Can I get an amen? But people will come to you and here's the reality. I think we should all be humble enough that even with something that sounds crazy that we take it to the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? You know, I've had people tell me, oh, God showed me in a vision you're going to commit adultery or something. And I'm like, well, I don't, th-, but I go, Lord, if that." you know, please keep me from that. If that's even real, I mean, some of the stuff people make up, amen. But every time, instead of just turning away from it, Hazel right here, he's hearing from the prophet of God. And instead of getting on his knees and crying out to the Lord, we got, we didn't need to make sure we're not so arrogant. Take heed lest ye fall. Can I get an amen to that? It's always the area. It's almost always the area where you think you're strongest, where you fall the hardest. Peter, I'll never deny you. Never. 24 three curses says he doesn't know the Lord. Why? Because when you have an area where you think you've got it, you cease to be desperate for the Lord. May we always stay desperate for the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? You may have so much money in the bank that you're comfortable and you don't worry about being desperate for God concerning your finances or whatever it might be. Be careful. And so Hazel, he doesn't repent, unfortunately. And sadly, he doesn't take the time to even go before the Lord to find out if this is true. Verse 14, it says, And then he departed from Elisha and came to his master and said, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered and said, He told me you will surely recover. That's true. But he didn't tell him the whole thing, did he? 
He also told me, I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to wreak havoc on Israel. He didn't tell him that. Verse 15. But it happened on the next day, he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. Isn't that exactly what Elisha, Elisha told him? He said, you're going to be king of Syria. Some people say, oh, he told me he was going to be king, so he gave me an idea. No. I have an idea that Hazel, of course, already knew he was plotting to kill the king. But now that it's been revealed, he was trying to push away from it. So in the most difficult times, even the most ungodly will cry out for divine intervention. Be prepared. The same people that will mock your faith will seek you out for prayer and direction when they are desperate. Again, here's Ben-Hadad, who'd been an enemy of Israel. He seeks out direction from Elisha. Point number four there, it says three, but for minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Look at verse 16. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. So now for the first time, since all the way back in 1 Kings chapter 14, we've been doing nothing but look at kings in Israel, and now we're coming back to Judah. And now we're going to talk about the king in Judah. Now, all the kings of Israel, as I've spoken, are evil, all of them. It's almost like they're having an evil contest to see who's going to be the most evil. And then some of the kings in Judah, were Asa and others, were godly. Well, this is not one of them. And so now we're being introduced to this new king. It's his first mention uh, since 1 Kings 22. Notice what it says here. He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. By the way, eight years as king is not a long time. And that usually means that your reign has been shortened and most often because of your behavior. And it says he walked the way of the kings of Israel. Now, is that good or bad? Okay, he's in Judah, and it says he walked the way of the kings of Israel. And uh, it almost be a mock. Dude, you're like a king of Israel. That's like saying you're evil. So it says he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. We're going to find out that this guy's grandparents, or his, that he's related to Ahab and Jezebel. And watch what happened. And so he's following in their footsteps. He walked the ways of the kings of Israel. The daughter of Ahab was his wife, so he's married to them, they're his in-laws. Can you imagine having Jezebel for your mother-in-law? Really? Let's go over to the in-laws. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I'll pass. Can we move farther away? Amen. I wouldn't want to tell my friends, what's your, what's your mother-in-law's name? Jezebel. What? Everybody knows who she is. She's as wicked as it gets, right? So the first thing that he did Notice what it says here. He walked the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, because he's related. He married the daughter. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? And sometimes we'll think, well, if I marry somebody who's really struggling, I'll help lift them up in their walk with the Lord. My mom showed me this when I was a little boy. I never forgot it. She had me stand up on a chair. And she said, son, try to pick, pull me up. I was probably eight years old. So I tried to pull my mom up, wasn't going to happen. Then she reached up and grabbed me like that, and I just fell to the ground. She said, son, it's always easier for people who are not walking with the Lord to pull you down than for, them, for you to pull them up. Never forgot it. Great example for an eight-year-old. Can I get an amen? 
Never forgot it. And the truth is that we minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We don't completely avoid sinners because that's why Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. Amen. But it's one thing to minister to the world. and It's another thing to fellowship with it. I've had people tell me, yeah, I go down to the strip club and witness. No, you don't. <laughs> Just stop that right now. Can I get an amen to that? Well, I go into bars because, you know, Jesus uh, hung out. He didn't drink with them and get drunk. Can I get an amen? You don't minister to the world by becoming more like the world. Amen? So, we see here that here's this, he walked in the way just as, as for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Do you remember when God told David and then Solomon that he was going to judge the lineage? He did say that he would always leave a remnant of his family. And so for David's sake, faithful David, by the way, faithful David in God's hall of faith, and we also know he was an adulterer. And remember how we talked about this on Sunday? Aren't you glad that God remembers your faithful moments and he separates your failures as far as the east is from the west? Can I get an amen to that? We saw that in God's hall of faith. Samson's in the hall of faith. Are you kidding me? Guys, here for, for when we were going through Samson? What a train wreck that guy was. And yet that encourages me to know that your life for the most part can be a disaster. But if you repent and you serve the Lord, he's going to forget your failures and he's going to remember your faithfulness because that's all he mentions in God's hall of faith. Amen. So David is remembered for when, you know, he slayed Goliath. He stood for the things of God. He was a mighty warrior for God. He was a man of God who was a flawed man, just like all of us. Amen. So in those, in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king, uh, king over themselves. So Joram went to Zaire and his chariots with them. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains and the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. So here's what happens. Because of his ungodliness, we're going to see it's in 2 Chronicles. We'll see it in Chronicles later. I've got the verse written down here. I'll read it to you in a minute. But because of his ungodliness, some of the people that were to follow the king had abandoned him. Now, the Edomites were not one of them, but we're going to see Libna right after this. It's actually one of the Levite cities where all the priests dwell. And so some of them are going to say, dude, this guy's a mess. I'm leaving. I'm not following him anymore. And so what happens is because he's ungodly, they question his authority. And so what do they do? They leave. So he goes out and attacks them and they surround his chariots and all of his guys go home and leave him there by himself because he is a man who rules in fear. He is a man who's evil and, and ungodly. And this is a man who doesn't truly have a friend. He only maybe has people that are so afraid that they follow him. Bible tells us that a brother is born for adversity. Can I get an amen to that? You find out who, who's really on your side in the moments of the greatest trials. Look at what it says in verse 22. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. 
and Libna revolted at the same time. It says in 2 Chronicles 21, thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So because he had forsaken God, those who followed God had abandoned him. And guys, we need to pray for our country. Can I get an amen? Because we have, in a big way, abandoned God. Praise God there's still a remnant here. Amen? Amen. God blesses this country because there are still people here that love him. But our country is getting further and further away from the Lord. And there may come a time when God allows righteous judgment to come in hopes that we would wake up. Look at verse 24. Verse 23, now the rest of the acts of Joram and all he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Um, if you go to Chronicles again, we find out how he really died. Do you want to hear it? Here is very nice. He just died. Except with his father. Second Chronicles. After the Lord his God struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened over the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out of him because of sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. That's not a good way to die. The way of the transgressor is hard. Here is a man who was king of Judah. Jerusalem is in Judah. These are God's chosen people. He's a descent, you know, the descendants of King David dwell there. And because of his ungodliness, he suffered for years. And I truly believe while he was suffering, it still wasn't too late to repent. Amen? When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things, make excuses, repent, or accuse others. Amen? Finally, watch what happens here. So we see minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. He's hanging out with Jezebel's daughter. He marries an ungodly woman. And now he lives like an ungodly man. We can't blame it all on her, but it certainly didn't help. Amen. By the way, there are far worse things than being single, being married to the wrong person. Amen. Don't say amen too loud if your spouse is here. Can I get amen? <laughs> but the point I'm making is, Wives are pushing husbands all around. I wish you guys could see from my perspective. But here's the reality. But the reality is that sometimes we're in such, we're so in such a hurry to get to what we think that we need that we settle for less than God's highest. And it's not always easy to wait, but it's always worth it. Amen? Waiting for what God has for you. My daughter, I was the most overprotective father ever. And I wear that crown proudly. And you can't tell looking at me now, but I used to be a big guy and I would go to chapel at my daughter's school and I would have her stand up. Hey, baby girl, stand up. She'd stand up, there's 800 kids. And then I'd go, that's my baby girl, Ashley Johnston here in the front row. And if any of you guys get within 10 feet of her, I will break you off in Jesus' name. <laughs> and everybody in her school was scared to death of her. And she was not allowed to date. And I would tell her, I am protecting you for your husband. And one of these days, your husband's going to thank me because I'm not going to have any of these knuckleheads touch that what doesn't belong to them. And, and baby girl, I don't want to have to do prison ministry. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so when my son-in-law came along, 
I made it very difficult on him. I told him, you can only see my daughter at my house when I'm home. If you're ever at my house when I'm not home, you'll never see her again. You'll be looking for another church because you cross the line when you mess with my baby girl. Can't get an amen to that. So guess what happened? He honored the Lord all the way through. Then he came and asked me permission to, to court her. And then he came back and asked for a hand in marriage. And it was easy to say yes because the year and a half they were courting, she was already on fire for God and she loved Jesus more after a year and a half with him than she did when she met him. And that's how I knew this is God's man. And when I said you may kiss the bride, it was the first kiss of my daughter's life. And do you know that my daughter wrote me a five-page letter? I'm going to get emotional. And it's in my safe at home. And she says, Dad, I was mad at you for four years. But I'm so glad that you love me enough to protect me for the man God had for me because you were right. Kevin was worth the wait. Can I get an amen to that? So can I encourage you? And by the way, if you don't have a dad within 50 miles of here, Joshua and I will be happy. <laughs> Bring him by here. Huh, Joshua? Can I get an amen? We'll, we'll get bread involved. Let's bring some muscles in. We just got to do it. Come here. <laughs> Amen. He picked the wrong woman. He picked the wrong wife and he, was, and he took her in the wrong direction. And it was a train wreck. Amen. Lastly, be an example your kids want to follow. Look at verse 25. In the 20th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Azahiah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, began to reign. Azahiah was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. That's not good. A lot of the kings would reign 40 years, one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athila. Guess who Athila's mom and dad are? Ahab and Jezebel. Here we go again. Married. Now see, a lot of times politically, they thought it would be a good idea. Well, if we intermarry with them, then they won't fight us and we won't have to fight them. And then we can have a political alliance. Can I encourage you right now? Politics don't mean anything compared to the word of God. Amen. Some of you went, Pastor Dave's getting in my kitchen now. He probably doesn't even have a Trump flag in his house. And I don't. <laughs> <Like> an amen. <laughs> we don't put our faith in the White House. We put our faith in the throne of grace. Amen. And we need to pray for the president we have now. That brother needs Jesus. And we need to pray for him. Amen. Pray for him. Did Jesus die for him? Did he die for the vice president? Amen. You'd be like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> be nice. Be nice. We need to pray for them. But here's the whole point. Look what it says. He walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Here's what happened. He followed the example that was in front of him. And he had an evil example and he was an evil man. And again, it's not, we can't blame, you know, uh, our behavior on our parents, but as parents, we should want to set an example that our kids, that you would want them to follow. Can I get an amen to that? We want to live in such a way to say, if your kids are going to follow your example, then how should you live? Should, should, you, should they see how mom and dad love each other? Should they see how you're the spiritual leader in your household, dads? Mom, that you're a Proverbs 31 woman, be an example to your kids. Your, your boys go, that's the kind of woman I want to marry. Your daughters say, that's the kind of woman I want to be when I grow up. And we, don't want, we want to be an example that our kids can follow. And finally, he says, now he went to Joram, the son of Ahab, 
to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. So here's Hazael, remember? The prophecy was that he was going to go after Israel. Here he is going after Israel. And one of the first people that he's able to get to is Joram. And it said that King Joram went back to Jezreel to cover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah. And when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was Sick. Now the story is going to continue on in chapter nine, but a lot of great applications for our lives from this chapter and, and things that took place so many years ago. Guys, we know that God's in control. Let's act like it. Amen. By the way, if you're new, I always tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I tell you, then I tell you what I told you. Amen. Half of you said, what did he just say? <laughs> I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I tell you, then I tell you what I told you. Amen. <laughs> It's the way you keep memory, right? So the key is to walk in intimate fellowship with God and invite him into your life. Dwell with him. Seek nothing from him more than his presence. And we can come to God and, and ask him and inter, you know, cry out to him. But the thing that should be the priority is, is him. Because I want to dwell with him. I want to hang out with Jesus. Be, be ever thankful for his blessings. In the midst of trials, run to him, not from him. Know that he is interceding on your behalf. Never lose sight of the cross. Amen. This Sunday, Agape Feast, and we're also going to have communion. Do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. Trust him and obey his word. There are no coincidences, only divine appointments. A coincidence is when God does a miracle and remains anonymous. Divine appointments are miracles of timing, and nothing happens by chance, all by divine and sovereign will of God. In the most difficult times, even the most ungodly will cry out for divine intervention. So be ready. Be ready that some of the people that mock you may one day come to you seeking for you to pray for them. It'll be a divine appointment. When they come seeking help, do not be afraid to speak the truth. See, we need to love them enough because didn't, didn't Elisha speak the truth to Hazel? Yes. He didn't try to tell him what he wanted to hear. He said, well, yeah, he's going to get better. And then he told him straight up, here's what you're going to do. Here's the kind of man you're going to be. Now, again, don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous, but tell people the truth because they need to hear it. Minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Surround yourself with spiritually mature examples. We become like the people hang out, you hang out with. You will follow somebody's example. Who's it going to be? And then finally, amen, be the example you want your kids to follow men, love, serve, and lead your families in the ways of the Lord. Be the priest of your household. And ladies, show your kids what a loving and faithful wife and mom looks like. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. Oh, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you always, to recognize that when the world is panicking because the waves are kicking up, Lord, you're in the boat with us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us not to panic, to not walk in fear, but to walk by faith. We know that you're a faithful God. You're in control of all things. We pray for divine appointments, opportunities to share the hope that lies within us. Lord, if there's areas of our life where we need to repent and get right with you, bring us to the end of ourselves. Lord, be glorified. I pray for everybody here. Whatever trial they may be going through right now, you know. Lord, I pray you would comfort them. I pray you would encourage them. I pray you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord, if they need to be, that you would rebuke them. Do what is necessary, Lord, to keep us in the center of your will. Lord, we ask all these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, Is he worthy to be worshiped? Let's worship. Here I am.
my intent.